Hello, and welcome to episode two of The Cloud, the Data, and the Ugly. This is Intro to Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning. We're going to define artificial intelligence, and we'll give it some context. We'll explain the various sub-disciplines within artificial intelligence, because it is a massive topic. And we will then discuss briefly some prerequisites for pursuing artificial intelligence projects. And we'll close with a word about the risks. So just to begin, artificial intelligence is a huge topic, but the definition is simple. Simulating an intellectual task. If you are simulating an intellectual task, you are engaging in an artificial intelligence pursuit. And just to rewind a couple hundred years, if you think about the invention of the loom and all the various inventions of industrialization, we were simulating physical tasks. So you can think of AI as trying to pick up where industrialization left off and simulate our minds. Now, many people hear this and the first thing they say is, well, okay, if they were playing checkers against a computer a few decades ago, wasn't that AI? And yes, of course it was. Um, so why aren't we impressed by that anymore? Well, in the industry, they call that the AI effect. Once a piece of AI goes mainstream for a while, we just naturally stop being impressed by it, but it doesn't stop being AI. What's bringing a lot more attention to AI now in the business world really is the evolution of distributed computing, and in particular, the increasing availability of cloud services. So now more and more organizations are finding themselves in a position to leverage artificial intelligence technologies, even though artificial intelligence engineering is not a core competency for them. Now, before we go any further, it's important to distinguish that really there's two different disparate types of AI. One is strong AI, and the other is called weak or narrow AI. And strong AI is really what you can think of in the science fiction movie when they talk about the machine becoming suddenly self-aware, um, acting on its own entirely. That hasn't been achieved yet. The race is on as of the early 2020s. Certainly there's many entities pursuing strong AI, but in fact, all of the various technologies that are celebrated and discussed in the industry all belong to that second category of weak AI or narrow AI. But as we'll see, even so-called narrow AI or weak AI is a massive, massive topic. In fact, it is not an undergrad degree to study this. It is not a master's degree to study this. If you want to cover artificial intelligence, you need a PhD. But the good news is that the industry is under increasing pressure to make sure artificial intelligence tools of all kinds are available to businesses and becoming easier and easier to use over time without those businesses having to hire an army of PhDs to operate them. So let's define some of the sub-disciplines or areas of focus within AI that form the field. And there's a certain amount of overlap between these, but it's worth going over each one. I'll start with search and planning. And a great example of search and planning is when a computer plays chess. Why is chess a search problem for a computer? Because when computers play chess, they have to map out every possible move given the current state of the board, anticipate every possible response move, and then every possible response they can play after that. And they have to build a huge tree of all the decisions that could be made, and they have to search within that tree for the most optimal line of play. So that for them is a search problem. And a best example of this that's, that's most famous is when IBM Deep Blue beat Garry Kasparov in 1997. 
Another discipline within AI is called reasoning and knowledge representation. Reasoning and knowledge representation. And the best example of that was when IBM Watson won Jeopardy in 2011. And if you think about Jeopardy, you don't just, for example, get a straightforward question asking, let's say, what's the capital of Spain? They really twist the information around. You might get something way more roundabout. For example, um, a Jeopardy clue might be, I am making laws about which schools will teach Basque or Spanish or Catalan. My office is in this city. And then the contestant is supposed to answer, of course, in the form of a question. So one area of AI that the designers had to be really, really good at was reasoning and knowledge representation. How to tag and chunk and arrange knowledge in such a way that it can be deployed to win a game like that. Another area of AI is actuators. And this is the area that really bleeds into robotics. This is about physically manipulating objects. So just to be completely clear, you can work on reasoning and knowledge representation problems, search and planning problems for years in the confines of a quiet office. Once you get into actuators, we're talking about things that would hurt if your hand got in the way. And we won't spend too much time on this because robots are very familiar to us, but I'll take the excuse to bring up one of my favorite TV shows, Robot Wars, in which different design teams put together robots and then battle them against each other because it's hilariously fun. But if you actually just go to your favorite online shopping site and look for actuators, you won't see full-size robots. Rather, you'll see the small mechanical parts that every robot needs in order to be able to move. Moving on, another area of artificial intelligence is perception. And we see many examples of this, but one very familiar example is self-driving cars. And self-driving cars have to be able to perceive, just for one example, a pedestrian so that they don't collide with that pedestrian. Perception is not the only area of AI being employed to make a self-driving car work, but it is a critically important thing for a self-driving car to get right. Another area of artificial intelligence is natural language processing. And if you think about how we have interacted with computers over the years, for decades we've had the ability, let's say, to have a command prompt where you could type in commands and the computer would respond. But in that situation, typically, the onus has been on you to know how to use language that the computer will understand. So the concept of natural language processing turns that on its head. Now the system needs to understand us the way we would naturally speak. And we're seeing more and more examples of this, but probably two of the most familiar examples are, one, web browser searches, which are getting more and more accurate at answering a question that you can type in, basically as you would naturally ask another human. And two, chatbots, which many businesses see as an opportunity to streamline their customer support, particularly as the chatbots improve over time. And the final area of artificial intelligence is learning, what we know as machine learning. And this one is incredibly important because it is influencing and improving all of the others. If you were to map all the various subdisciplines of artificial intelligence, picture machine learning at the center with tentacles reaching into all the others. And one way to think of machine learning is as an optimizing engine. And what I mean by that is, it's not perfect for a situation where you just have a 
business issue and you're looking through the wide world of possibilities of what to do. What machine learning is really good at is taking a problem that you already can describe, especially something with many interactions, something where interactions can clearly be defined as a success or a failure. And it's really good at optimizing your approach to handling that problem, that well-defined problem. If it's not a problem you can describe very easily, or if the interactions surrounding your issue are not easily classified as successes or failures, machine learning might not be the best candidate for your solution. So the basic paradigm of machine learning is that you begin with some sort of pattern or prediction. For instance, more users will click this link if it appears at the top of the screen. So you have a prediction, we have a basket of patterns, and that part of the system is called the model. And then you run an experiment. And you run an experiment in such a way that it produces a clear success or a clear failure. And then the system takes that result and feeds it back into the model in such a way that if it was a failure, some sort of adjustment is applied to the model automatically. And then the experiment is repeated again and again and again. So you have this cycle of prediction, experimentation, success or failure, and adjustment to the model. And it's through the repetition of that cycle that you arrive at your valuable insight. So that is why I referred to machine learning as an optimization engine. That's really what it's good at. But it's such a big area to itself now that it's begun to develop subdisciplines within itself. And the best known one of those is deep learning. Deep learning has been used now for several years to improve image recognition technology. If you hear medical professionals talking about how AI is going to put radiologists out of business, deep learning powered image recognition is probably what they're talking about. Another application of deep learning that's well known is called deep fakes. So obviously doctored photographs have been with us for over a hundred years now, but producing a convincing, completely doctored video has not been possible for very long. It's deep learning that enables that, hence deep fakes. If you've never seen one of these before, go ahead and look up deep fake on your favorite video search engine sometime, and you'll see any number of them that range from funny to creepy. And it does make some people wonder what will happen as the technology becomes cheaper, uh, for instance, in the criminal evidentiary system, but we'll leave that for a different discussion. So let's recap all those areas of artificial intelligence we've discussed. We talked about search and planning. That was IBM Deep Blue beating Garry Kasparov in 1997. We talked about reasoning and knowledge representation. And the example we discussed there was IBM Watson winning Jeopardy in 2011. We talked about actuators, which is the area that focuses on manipulating physical objects. And we brought up Robot Wars to explain that one. We talked about perception, which is what self-driving cars use not to run us over. We discussed natural language processing, and we gave the example of chatbots. And we discussed machine learning, the area that's getting so much attention because it's being used to optimize all the other fields within AI. 
and how within machine learning we have deep learning, which improves image recognition and which can be employed to produce deep fake video. So now that we've gone over all of the areas within artificial intelligence, this is a good moment to relate artificial intelligence to machine learning to data science, because we hear these phrases thrown around a lot and this is a good moment to explain how you can tie them all together. Essentially, from the AI side, as a practitioner of artificial intelligence, you could look at learning and say, okay, learning is an intellectual task, so machine learning is one of the subdomains of AI. But from over on the data science side, they're just gaining insights from data by any means necessary. And so the data scientist looks at machine learning and says, this is one of the tools in my arsenal for optimizing my insights. And so machine learning is one of mine. So essentially, if you could picture that Venn diagram where artificial intelligence and data science overlap, machine learning is what AI and data science have in common. So moving on from there to how AI affects your organization. This is something to think about when you get invited to the conference call or you get invited to the demo and now a consultant is recommending artificial intelligence technology to your organization to reduce cost or to enhance a product offering that you may be selling to your clients in turn. And really the main prerequisite that people don't focus on enough is the quality of data. If your organization is already producing good analytics and already has good processes around it and doesn't have too much duplicate data and has good quality control and understands its data catalog, then you are well positioned to leverage these technologies we're talking about. But if you have a lot of duplicate data, sparse data, um, data with integrity issues, maybe data that was brought in through an acquisition that never got fully integrated with the rest of the data that was already in the company, then it's worth considering before diving into an AI project, whether the company needs to perform some data cleanup first. Now there's some exceptions to this. You can stand up chatbots without mastering all the data in the company first. But by and large, if you don't have confidence to produce, let's say your basic analytics well, with reproducible processes and with high data quality, then any number of vendors might wanna come in and sell you on an AI platform and it'll sound dazzling, but you're not ready for it yet. And it's going to be garbage in, garbage out. So it is highly appropriate for you to raise a hand and say, this is exciting technology, but have we talked about the data cleanup prerequisites and who's gonna be in charge of that? So we have now introduced AI. We talked about the AI effect and defined strong versus weak AI. We've talked about all the various subdomains of AI and the prerequisites you wanna keep in mind before launching into an AI project. And to close this introduction, I just want to tell a story from 2017. Maybe many of the listeners know this story. What happened was Facebook decided to stand up two trading bots against each other. Two trading machine learning systems, a buy bot and a sell bot. And the idea was that they were gonna take mundane everyday items, balls, hats, and gloves, and learn to assign value to them and to barter them. And they let the two robots engage 
and they let it run and they left them alone. And they came back a couple days later and looked at the output from the machine discussion. And the machines had invented their own language to execute these trades and negotiate these trades. And I encourage you to look this up because the transcript of the discussion between the robots is out there online for everyone to see. You can just look up uh, Facebook shuts down robots and there's several stories about it. And on the one hand, it's a little bit funny because the language that the robots came up with was kind of a, a bizarro English. But when they asked exactly what had happened, the answer was nothing in the programming of the system had incentivized the machines to necessarily stick with one language. So without that constraint, they went ahead and invented their own language. Now, not to be overdramatic, this was far from a Terminator 2 scenario, but it was nevertheless a little bit creepy. And I think what probably was most jarring to people was the surprise of it. And it's not a reason to drag heels when anybody wants to introduce an artificial intelligence platform to your organization. There's a lot of exciting opportunities there. But it's just worth being aware that if a consultant ever tells you that they have thought through every possible implication or parameter surrounding an automated learning system, in reality, they probably have not. That's it for episode two of The Cloud, The Data, and The Ugly. I hope you'll join me next time.